All right, I came to talk to you today about the nature of God because that's what we've been doing. We've been focusing on the, the nature of God every week, one nature after another. And so today, I need you to brace yourself because I'm speaking about God being jealous today. That God is a jealous God. You know, sometimes when we hear that word jealous, we don't know what to make of it. Because you've seen some jealous people before and you didn't like them, did you? And so we, we've got to wrestle for just a moment before we get into the, the scripture today. Is what is this jealousy that this jealous God has? In fact, I need you to go over to Exodus 34 with me. We're going to be in Exodus 34. And I want to start us out in verse 14 to make sure you know I didn't make this up, that when God told them who he was, this is what he said. He said, for you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Not little J, Jealous, capital J, Jealous. Big J. He says, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, what do we make of that? Because in Scripture it says that, that no one else is supposed to have our praise. No one else is to receive glory like the one true God. And so it's, He's jealous of our praise, jealous of, of the glory that is due Him. But I don't want you to take that like a little old spoiled child who isn't getting what he wants. Because that ain't God. Do you hear me? So when he says that he is jealous for praise and jealous for glory, this is not someone who didn't get what they thought they should get and is now jealous because of it. It's, it's more than that. He compares it sometimes to a spouse. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he wanted, he had this divine jealousy to present the church, you, every person, even if you're not part of a church yet, every person to Christ like you would present a woman to a man in marriage. Now, you've seen some jealous spouses before too, right? And, and that, can be a, that can be a controlling thing. And it sucks all the life out of that relationship and all of the, the love out of that relationship. I'm telling you that if you need love, don't be jealous because you'll kill the very thing you want. So when God says he's jealous, he's not talking about that kind of jealousy of a, of a spouse that was cheated on. A spouse who didn't get what they, they wanted. No, he's, he's a jealous God. And, and I've started saying it this way. He is jealous for you, not of you. See, he's jealous for you. And if you look up the word jealousy in Scripture, I mean, in, in the dictionary, you'll find that there's this little subtle meaning that we don't use very often because it gets taken up by jealous people. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we just finished a whole series on love. You can look at the podcast and follow it. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. And then here God says he is jealous. And so I will tell you that it's hidden in that secondary definition of jealousy, which is that jealousy means you have a positive interest in something, a dedication to something. Who do you think God is dedicated to? Yeah. 
Jesus gave himself for you. He's dedicated to you. He has a, a positive interest in you. He takes delight and he diligently protects what is his. You see, whether you claim him or not, he claims you. He made you. And because of that, he's jealous for you. For you to have everything that he wants you to have. To realize all that is God. And when you give yourself to God, you get set completely free. It's the only jealousy I know that sets you free. Every other jealousy enslaves you. This jealousy that God has sets you free. And he says that I have to be jealous because if you give your heart to something or someone else, just wait. And that thing will steal your freedom. You just wait for it. It'll steal your freedom. That's what he knew would happen. That's why he said he was jealous. Not because his feelings get hurt, but he knows that if your heart is not on him, you're in trouble. Look up ahead and you'll see why he wrote the verse. We're still in Exodus 34. We're going to chapter, verse number 12. He says, watch for yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going. Those inhabitants did not know God. They did not worship God. They worshiped other idols. It says, or it'll become a snare in your midst. Everybody say the word snare. Anybody know what a snare is? You ever seen that? You know, on those wild Alaska shows and all, those guys go out and they set these snares. They set a trap. Now, the way you set a good trap is you got to have some bait. Mm. You got to put it in a path that they normally follow. And then you got to conceal it. You got to hide it because they can't know that it's coming. That's how you get caught in a trap. That's how you set a trap. What God is saying is that the enemy wants to set a trap for you. And he's going to hide it where you can't see it. But he says, I'm making it known right here that there's a snare out there. There's actually a lot of them. Any person trapping doesn't go and set one snare. They'll starve to death. They set a, they set a bunch of snares to try to get as much as they can. The enemy sets a mini snare for you. And God says, but I want to disclose it so that you'll see it. That you cannot let other things be a snare to you. They'll take you away. Not all at once. You know that, right? He's too good for that. He doesn't take you away all at once. There's no usually one decision that destroys your life. No, it's a slow fade. It's a... It's a step, you know, just one step here and another one there until the snare is set. He says, I need you to know that the reason I'm jealous for you is because if you let anything else take your heart, your love, it will steal your freedom and it will destroy you. Because the intent was to kill you. The enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. Now let's look over to the story that caused God to tell him that he was jealous. It's in Exodus chapter 33. Flip back for me. We're going to read six verses starting in verse 12. I hear the pages turning. Even in the age of electronics, I still love, I still love to hear the pages turning. He says, and then Moses said, oh wait, we've got to go to 32. I'm about to give you the wrong chapter. Verse, chapter 32. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, 
Now, why did Moses delay? Moses had gone up on the mountain to get the, the tablets and to bring them back down to the people. But he had been up there for almost six weeks now. In the age in which you do not have cell phones to call him up and say, hey, Moses, it's been a while. You, you doing okay? Not in the age of GPS like some of you parents, you know, where you pull up the phone figure out where your kids are. They're like, oh, yeah, he's still on the mountain. Everything's good. Not in the age of the police where you call him up and say, hey, could you just make a little courtesy run up on Mount Sinai? Just check on Moses. Make sure he's good. Didn't have any of that. So it says, for now, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people assembled about Aaron. Moses left Aaron as second in command. He's the next man up. He's the one in charge while Moses is gone. They said to, to come and to assemble about Aaron. And they said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. Mm, that didn't take long. They had only been freed from, uh, from Egypt for about three months. It hadn't been long. Three months. God demonstrates his power, takes them out of Egypt, out of bondage. Just three months, they say. And now all of a sudden they can't find Moses and they're ready to create a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And then all the people tore off the gold rings that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made it into a molten calf. Mm, somebody said, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a snare. And they said, this is your God. It's believed that these are the elders of the community that are saying that. It's bad when the elders turn. They said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. They said build a God. When he says build a feast to the Lord, Aaron's trying to walk the middle. You ever tried to walk the middle between public opinion and the will of God? He said, maybe I can just skate this thing by. I'll give them what they want, a golden calf, and yet I'll tell them that they can go to this golden calf and they can worship the one true God. Somebody say, that's a snare. Yeah. So the next day they rose up early and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. I want to talk to you a minute about how this God is jealous for your life and how that's a good thing. And I want to bring up some real life situations that we find here in Scripture, but I need you to apply it to your life. I can't do that for you. So you're going to have to make the application. If it applies, say it applies. And then do something about it. Amen? So let me draw your attention. The thing that brought Israel out of Egypt was pain. And oftentimes, pain is a great motivator. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever been in pain? And I'm not just talking about physical pain. I'm talking about you don't know how to pay the bills kind of pain. You need a job and you don't have one kind of pain. Your family is a wreck kind of pain. Your kids have gone wild kind of pain. 
And it is amazing that when people get in pain, one of the first things they'll do if they haven't done it in a long time, what will they do? Turn to God. Turn to God. Pain is an incredible motivator. But pain doesn't last long. And the problem is, if you were only motivated by the pain, now listen to this, but you weren't motivated, motivated by the promise, then you're in trouble. Let me see if I can flesh that out for you in real life terms. First, let's look at Israel. Israel was in pain. Cry out to God, God, you've got to get us out of bondage. Lord, we need you. He gets them out of bondage. Three months in, it goes a little bit wrong, and they go, look, we got needs. We need food. We need water. We need to get on to the promised land. Somebody fashion us a God so we can keep on going. You see how easy it is? When you're not motivated by the promise, you're just motivated by the pain, then you'll go anywhere you can to find a solution to your pain. How many bad relationships have people been in because they were looking for somebody to fix their pain? How many bad, uh, bad situations have you found yourself in because you were simply motivated by pain and not by the promise? God is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. He wants you to know the promise because if you see the promise clearly, then you can get to it. But here's what happens. I've seen it far too much. I know I look young like I just started this, but I've been in this a long time. <laughs> Don't let this nice dark beard fool you. I've had people, I've had people show up and, you know, I've, I've done it too. We all have showed up because of pain. People come in and they're like, man, I got I to gotta get back to church. I got to get back to God. I got problems. I got problems. And, and they'll come in with no job, no finances, family problems, addiction, all those things that I talked about earlier. And our God is so jealous that He'll start answering their prayers. He'll start answering their prayers. I've watched people get jobs. I've watched people's finances do a three, uh, no, 180. Sorry. <laughs> The 360's coming. Hold on. Yeah. They do a 180. I've, I've watched people, their family starts getting in order. Their, their children start getting in order. They're like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, it's like you, you miss them and you're like, I wonder where they are. And, and you, you call them or you see them and you say, hey, you doing okay? And yeah, I'm just, ooh, this job. Oh, it got quiet. Come on, Kev. Oh, it got quiet. I went to meddling and it got quiet. People go, oh, I just, oh, I'm just tired. This job. Oh, you mean the one God gave you? Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> Whew. I, I just so tired when I get to the weekend, I just need to rest. Can I tell you that if God is not your rest, you can't get enough. Can't get enough. I don't care how long you sleep over the weekend. You can't get enough. I've watched them start turning their finances around. And the next thing you know, you can't find them. Why? Because they are spending. <laughs> got a little money in my pocket. I ain't never had none. <laughs> Buying stuff, going places. As a pastor, you know, I've, I've, honestly, y'all, I can look at it and go, oh, that's a bad deal. Mm, that's going sideways. 
And then I can look at people and go, you know what? God bless them. Just bless them real good. Because you'll bless them and they'll stay faithful to God and they'll stay true to God and they'll use everything that He gives them for the kingdom. But I've seen so many, when God begins to move and change and answer prayer, that you can't find them. And it was because... Oh, let's talk about addiction for a minute. Because that's a big part of the ministry that we have here. I think one of the reasons why people go back into addiction is because all they wanted was out of the pain. And they never got a promise of who God is and who God was for their life that would hold them to something, that they would have something to walk to. They're just trying to get out of something, not into something. And so when that relief gets good... It never fails, right? You're like, I got this. Yeah. Right? Come on. You know who I'm talking about. I got this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, it was the drinking that was a problem, but them friends that were drinking, that's not the problem. I'm going to go on back and hang out with them. Okay. Come on. Now, the, the drugs were a problem, but, but I still got some, some buddies and stuff, you know, and that's not the problem. So I'm going I'm to go back and, and, and hang out with them just a little bit. Can I tell you that's a snare? Yeah. It's a snare, and too many people have fallen into it that they were trying to get out of pain, and they never got a promise. God is jealous for you, and He wants you to have a promise, and you need to wrestle with God until you get one and not relent. And then Moses, he's sent to go up on Mount Sinai to hear from God. There's probably nobody in the room like this, but I'm going to ask you, have you ever had a friend that got in trouble because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Now, I'm not talking about you because I know that never happened to you. Okay? But you got some friends that you can preach this to that the reason you got in trouble is because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Never should have been there. Your mama told you that, right? As soon as you got in trouble, she said you never should have been there, son. Yeah? Well, Israel never should have been there. Israel never should have been at the foot of the mountain. They were supposed to be with Moses on top of the mountain. God told them, come up. And they said, oh, oh no, uh uh-uh. No, that mountain is, there's thunder and there's lightning and there's some stuff I don't understand that's going on up there. Can I tell you, if you're going to follow God, there'll be some stuff you don't understand. There'll be some things that intimidate you and, and scare you a little bit. And you got to wonder, what in the world are you going to do? And they looked at that and they go, oh, no, uh-uh. we're going to send Mo- Moses. you go and you tell us what God said. So they send Moses. And now, now they're waiting to hear from, from Moses. And here's the problem with that in modern day times. There are far too many of us as Christians who the only feeding you get is from a preacher. There's some of you that you couldn't even stay attached to the church if it wasn't for pastors running out and people that love you running out and trying to get you and convince you of why you need to be in the body of Christ. And, and any time you need to hear from God, you would rather hear it from somebody else. You would rather go to somebody and say, I just don't know what God's doing. Could you tell me? Hmm. 
So we'd rather send Moses. See, they're in trouble because they're in the wrong spot. They were supposed to go up on the mountain. Can I tell you that God is jealous and you will have to wrestle with God on the mountain just like Moses. You'll have to wrestle with God just like Moses. But too many times we would rather send someone else. If all of your feeding is coming from someone else, you are starved Christian right now. Can I just go and tell you, you are not well. And there is a snare set before you that will call you away. And the only way to fix it is decide that you're going to wrestle with God and be hungry for God. I've, I've tried to disciple people that they weren't hungry, and it didn't matter what I did. Yeah. They were like, it was the wrong verse, it was the, it was the wrong time, I didn't explain it clearly enough. And then I've had hungry people that come. And good Lord, you hardly get the Bible open. And they're drooling over it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you say. And I've decided now that the key to discipleship is not so much a good teacher, it's a hungry student. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Some of you have tried discipleship and failed. It wasn't your problem. You did just fine. If they were hungry, they would have grown. They could have taken any little old scrap off the table, just like the, what was that, the um, Samaritan woman? Any little old scrap would do. And they'd be fed from it. That's good, Kev. So you got to wrestle with God. Does everybody hear that? Yes, sir. You must. There is no way around it. You can use teaching and preaching and pastoral care. But if you ain't hungry, you got a problem. Those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Yeah. And then, so they're in the wrong place. And now they're sitting there. And you can imagine maybe day one. They're a little bit bored. I mean, you're out there in the desert. There's no television. There's no cell phones. There's nothing, right? Just It's boring. And so for like two days, it's just boring. They're like, okay, I don't know when he's coming back. Two days rolls into three, four, five a week, and now all of a sudden we're not bored anymore. We're frustrated. Well, you ever seen this progression in your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You started out bored, and now you're frustrated. They're like, I don't know where Moses is. Now, all the other times, he'd come back in a day or two. They're frustrated. You let frustration carry on long enough, it'll turn into discouragement. Did anybody come in the room discouraged today? Oh, <laughs> You're not careful, discouragement will turn into wasting away. And you will be lost in a desert, wasting away. And so the key is to never get bored. You're like, what? Never get bored? Yeah. I'm going to say something. I want you to listen real good. Is everybody listening? If you're a Christian, a follower of God, and your spiritual life is boring, you ain't doing it right. Let let me say that again. Can I say that again? Are you bored as a Christian? Do you walk into church thinking, you know what? Church is just boring. That whole Christian thing's just boring. Reading the Bible's boring. Can I tell you that if it's boring, you aren't doing it right? Because if you'll climb up a mountain to find God, and it's thundering and lightning, and there's uncertainty with God, and there is fear with God, I'll tell you that if you'll seek the face of God, you'll never be bored again. I've been scared, but I ain't been bored in a long time. Yeah. 
I ain't been bored in a long time. Yeah. Hmm. And so here's what happens when you get bored and you get frustrated and you get discouraged and you start wasting away. You'll start looking for somebody to blame. Because clearly it can't be your fault. Now, I, now listen, I've presented all this before me this week. So I didn't preach this thing to me about 16 times. You're like, man, he's preaching rough today. Yeah, because God is jealous for you. Jealous. So what happens, you'll start looking for somebody to blame. And all of a sudden, everybody around you is just doing something wrong. That hasn't happened to anybody, has it? Right? You know? Your wife, she used to be great. Now, just problems. Yeah? It's problems. Your kids, they used to act right. And now, look at them. You go to church, and it's like, man, what is wrong with Kevin? Yeah? What's wrong with that church down there? There's just something that's changed about them. No, nothing's changed collectively. You're bored. And you're drifting away from God. And there is nothing the church can do to fix you. Because the pastor and the teachers and the musicians and the people at the church aren't the problem. The problem is you're not where you're supposed to be. You're hanging out and you won't chase God. And when you start chasing God, everybody around you will have a lot more compassion for them. <laughs> yeah. you, you won't even worry about them anymore. You won't even be worried because you'll be chasing God so hard that, that it won't matter. And so then they, they make this idol, this golden calf. And there's two things that I see in this golden calf. I see one is how easy it was for them to be satisfied. Did you see how, I mean, you just make a calf and then all of a sudden everybody's good. They're singing and dancing. Now it's the God of Yahweh, the God of the mountain that brought them out of Egypt. But they're more than willing to be complacent and name something else as God and chase that. If you are unwilling to climb the mountain and wrestle with God, you will become complacent. Something else. Something else will take God's place. And if you're not careful, you'll start liking complacency. You'll start liking it. That you'll start building your life around complacency. You know what that's like. Don't rock my boat. Don't, don't stir me up. I just like it the way that it is. The definition of complacency is self-satisfaction to a fault. To a fault. Don't forget that. Complacency is self-satisfaction to a fault. And so they're, they're very satisfied in this God. And that cow, calf, becomes a cult of comfort to them. You ever worshipped at the idol of the cult of comfort? That I just want to be comfortable. You stopped wanting God and just wanted to be comfortable. You, you stopped wanting to, to fight, to get to God, to, to wrestle, to have the presence of God. And instead, you're like, eh, calf's good. Eh, a good hobby's good. Eh, you know, vacation good. I just went on one. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. But complacency is a snare. And then another thing I see is this, of staying busy. 
because you refuse to wrestle with God, you have to stay busy to keep your mind occupied. Because, by the way, he's a jealous God. And every time you get silent, you hear this. And it's him wanting to talk. Because he's jealous. And he wants to bring some stuff up, but you don't want to talk about it. Right. So right. you stay busy. Right. And they put their hands to work. They fashion that thing with their very own hand, if you notice. And you'll hear people. They'll say, man, I, I just want a, more, I want a relationship with God. I just want, I want more of God. And I'll say, well, you can have it. And they'll go, no, I'm just too busy. I'm, I'm busy. I'm working with my hands. I'm, I'm busy. And, and so we'll tell people, I, you know, I'd love to do that, but I'm, I'm busy. Can I tell you that you saying you're busy is a lie? It's a lie. I just want to go on and tell you, anytime you tell someone that you can't do something because you're busy, it's a lie. You didn't want to do it. If you wanted to do it, you'd make time for it. Yeah? Yeah? If I offered you a paid vacation to Greece for the next month, you'd find a way to get there. You'd make time. Yeah, so let's go on and just, I think God wants us to just call it what it is. Just live in truth, right? Yeah, don't tell somebody you, you, you would like more of God, but you don't have time. Because you do. The problem is, right now, something else is more important. Something else is more important. The feeling you get, that dopamine rush of scrolling on Facebook, social media. That's more comforting. It's comfortable. God is not comfortable. I just, he's not comfortable. And so... For you to get out of complacency and, and get out of this place of running yourself in the ground, you've got to realize that you've got to pursue God with everything. The greatest comfort in life is knowing God. The greatest comfort in life is knowing God and being in the center of His will, walking in purpose. Oh, i got to hurry. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Exodus 33. Turn over there with me. In Exodus 33, God tells them something. And I'm going to read it. I'm just going to see if any of y'all have a problem with it, okay? So now they've made this golden calf. God has forgiven them. Moses has made things right. And now God is going to implement the, the promise. And so in chapter 33, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom I have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham. See, that's the promise. He's restoring the promise. To the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out all those people. We're going to skip that. All those ites. And then in verse 3, They will go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will not go up in your midst. Does anybody see a problem with that? He says, you go back and start again. And move toward the promise that I've made to you. I'm going to be faithful to it. I'm going to send an angel. Anybody see a promise? I mean, a problem. But he ain't going. He's not going. And it looks like the people of Israel read that and go, huh, okay. And they're ready to go. Like they're more than content to have the promise without God Himself. Can I tell you 
that in this age in which we live that values success so much that one of the greatest travesties of this world would for you to be a success and become a success without God. That took a little minute. I th- y'all, are, y'all are thinking about that, right? Because we've been so driven to want success that we think that it's all about success. I'll tell you that if you become successful but you do it without God, you will be miserable. You know why? Because it's lonely at the top. There's nobody there. Even on your little mountains, even on your little mountains, the, you know, when you're the, the, the company boss, the, the manager, when you rise above and you have people that have influence on you, you begin to realize that whatever level that is, that's a lonely place, isn't it? Yeah, it's lonely at the top. And here's the problem. So many people will climb the mountain of success, but refuse to climb the mountain of God. You need to ask yourself which mountain you're climbing. Which mountain are you climbing? Are you climbing the mountain of success? Or are you climbing the the mountain of God? Moses knew this, and he looks at God and he says, I ain't going. I don't recommend you telling God that you're not going to do something. I don't recommend it. About the only time you should tell God no when he asks you to do something is when God says, hey, I'll let you have it, but I I can't be a part of it. Then you need to say that I'm not going. Moses is some of the most important verses of my life. I read them over and over again. In chapter 33, verse 14, he said, and he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. That's God. And then he said to him, this is Moses, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. That's the posture you have to take in life. That says, if God is not going with me, I'm not going. If, if I am doing something and God is not in it, I don't want to do it. That kind of success would be the worst failure in the world. That's why there are so many people in Hollywood, there are so many people in the media who have risen to success and then commit suicide. Because it's lonely at the top when God ain't there. You know, we're going to have some kids. We're going to have some young people, some teenagers. They're going to be wildly successful. Wildly successful. The challenge for us is to make sure that our young people climb the mountain of God first. I look at people in Scripture, and I don't see people crying out to God, God, make me a success. God, make me a success. I I don't see it. But I hear it all the time here in this American church. God, make me a success. Make me a success. You want to know what I do see in Scripture? I'm glad you asked. I was going to tell you anyway. I'm going to tell y'all, they didn't look like they were interested. (laughs) I see people hungry for God. And then God makes those hungry people successful. Ooh, that was good. Wasn't that good? Yeah. Y'all need to hear that one more time. I don't see people in Scripture crying out to God to be successful in their business, successful in their education, successful in their marriage. I hear people crying out to God, wanting more of Him just like Moses. Saying, I've got to have you. 
And if I don't have you, I don't have anything. And then God says, now that's somebody who can be successful. Because success is a snare. Yeah, I'm going to say that one more time. Success is a snare if you didn't first climb the mountain of God. Hmm. So I'm jealous for you today. I've been thinking about y'all all week. Couldn't wait for you to get here. I say, Lord, please let some people show up. <laughs> You've never been a pastor. That's what you do on Sunday mornings, right? <laughs> Especially y'all, because y'all all come in late. So at 1030, I'm like, yep, that's it. We're over. <laughs> Man, they all quit coming. <sighs> and then I come back up to preach. I'm like, oh, there they are. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Okay, we're still in business. I'm jealous for you. Literally, for every one of you, I'm jealous. That's what Paul said. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he said, I feel a divine jealousy for you. That you not be led away by other things. That that you'd move from being uh, pain-driven people to promise-driven people. But you're going to have to wrestle with God to find a promise. You can't come up here and and ask somebody, what is God's promise for my life? It won't set in you right. 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 You got to wrestle to find the promise of God. It's It's in the wrestling that you find it and that you're equipped for it. We can't be complacent anymore. The day of a a Christian church that's complacent is over. I don't know what generation that would have worked, but I'm telling you, it will not work in this generation. A complacent group of Christians will be destroyed. We've got to wrestle with God. Hmm. And there's an urgency to this thing. Because here's what I know. If you won't climb the mountain today, you probably won't climb it tomorrow. Right? Right? There's so many people been putting off getting getting back with God. Getting right with God. All those things. Keep putting it off for another day. Can I tell you that if you won't climb the mountain of God today, you probably won't climb. So I want to issue an invitation for you to get out of your complacency. To come out of your pain and find a promise. I want to challenge you to wrestle with God on the mountain and realize that people can help you, but for the most part, God's going to have to lead you that way on your own. And I want you to be willing to do it. Because you say, but Kevin, that's scary. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, I know you don't. But God said, and here's what goes back to the nature of God that we've been preaching. God says, I love you. I'm love. I'm good. I'm redeeming. Even if you mess up, I'll help you fix it. I just need you to move toward me. So there's an urgency about this thing. And then, I need to, it's almost like I'm shifting for just a moment, but then hopefully I can draw this thing back real fast. Ember, we can't become complacent. We, We can't become complacent. And in saying that, I need to tell you something. This place where we're sitting right now, this is not our final home. This is not our final home. 
Because when I look at you, yeah, you. When, when I look at you, I see that God is doing more than we can put right here in this room. If you'll but climb the mountain. So my job as a leader is to tell you what I see in you. You see, I see music in this place that's too big for this stage. I, I see preaching that's too big for this place. Spiritual gifts in you that are too big for just this place. You see, this was our start. This building, this place was our start. But, but God wants more. And we've been praying about this thing for a long time. And one of the dangers is that we get complacent and think this is good enough. And it's pretty good. Right? It's pretty good. I mean, we come and we have worship. And you guys love each other. And it'd be easy to get complacent and say, you know what? I think that's cool. I think that's good enough. And it's my job, not as Moses, but as Kevin Taylor. To say, God has called you to more than that. You're bigger. We, we don't need a bigger spot because we want to build some great kingdom and, and be successful. And so, Pastor D and I can travel around the world and people think we're great. <laughs> we need a bigger place because there are people who still don't know that God is jealous for them. They still don't know that God loves them. They still don't know that God will totally transform their lives. But you have incredible influence. You say, I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm no Moses. Do you know that the definition of a leader is anyone that has influence? I look at your lives. You have influence. Every one of you. You have the ability to, to draw people into what God is doing in your life. And so I need to share this picture of what this thing looks like. It, it doesn't look like anything you've ever seen before. I'm not talking about moving from a place like this to just another building. I'm talking about doing something that nobody's ever seen before, never heard before, never entered the mind of man before. And the reason I'm pretty sure that it's like that is because we've been meeting with some general contractors and some architects. And when we share the vision with them, they go, huh, never heard of that before. So I'm pretty sure they would have heard it before. They say, I've never really heard it like that before. And what I think God is doing here is he's taking all of you and the different ministries that God has created out of here. And he wants to bring those ministries into one location to where people who have needs can come and people who have creative solutions who have gone up on the mountain, they got a vision that you combine them together in one place. And that place is open all the time. And so it has ministry going on there. And maybe it has a, a bookstore or a coffee shop or something like that going on. And people come there because they know that life is there. And they know that God is there. Oh, and by the way, on Sundays, we'll inhabit it and praise God there. Yeah. You see, for too long, we've built these buildings and then we've tried to, tried to cram ministry into them. And what I'm telling you is God's calling us higher than that. That God wants us to build a place of ministry. And then on Sundays, we'll just make it where the church can worship there. 
And so you probably have a thousand questions, and so do I. I feel like Abraham. When God told Abraham, he said, Abraham, you need to get up and go from here. Abraham said, where are we going? He said, get up and go, and I'll show you. That's what I'm going to tell you. That's what God is telling me. Kevin, if you'll get up and go, I'll show you. Where's the place? I don't know. We've got a group of people looking for a place right now, seeing what will work. But here's what we're not going to do. I'm not building another building just for building's sake. I want to build you. Did you hear that? God's jealous for you. God wants to build you. He just knows he needs a bigger container to hold you. Yeah? When you step into your anointing, God knows. So he said, Kevin, you get the place ready. Now my job is to tell you, now you got to get ready. you got to climb the mountain, folks. I don't care how weak and feeble you think you are. God accepts the whosoever will. You remember that message I preached like two weeks ago? He said, it pleases me. It pleases me to take the, the base things, the shameful things, the despised things, the broken, the counted out. It pleases me to do something with people like that. So I got to challenge you. Y'all, y'all got to step your game up. Because there's more in you. And there's only two directions you can go. You will move toward complacency, and that's a snare, and you will die there. Or today you can accept this challenge and say, I will pursue God. So the team is at the back. Will y'all come? And that, I don't, I don't know if you will, but Luke, I would love for you to do that. Um, that song it says, He provides the fire. But you got to provide the sacrifice. You hear that? God said he'll provide the fire in your life. Don't you worry about the fire, the power. He said, I got that. I'll take care of that. He said, what I'm looking for is a sacrifice. And part of that song, one of the songs says, Lord, let our altar never be without fire. And that kind of, not quite those words. (laughs) He'll, He'll sing it in a minute. But my prayer is that the fire of God would never go out on ember. You can't call a place ember and let the fire go out. (laughs) You you can't call yourself an ember and let the fire go out. That's why we made those shirts. I ain't ever talked about those shirts. But when we first started ember, I said, I want to name a church that we could have a t-shirt that says, I am whatever we are. Because the church, the people, have to know that the fire can't go out of your own individual life. That you're the one that has to provide the fire. And when we combine all of these embers that have been set on fire by God, that's when God ignites revival. And that's when God ignites reformation. So we don't need power and we don't need fire. That'll come. Today God needs a sacrifice. He needs somebody that will climb the mountain. And I'm telling you that the service is, as soon as I pray, is over. But I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. Because you need to be challenged. There's too much in you to not be challenged today. You shouldn't leave here until you know the plan of God for your life. And you shouldn't leave here wanting to be a success 
until you have first climbed the mountain of God. I'm calling a group of people who will spend whatever time it takes to come face to face with God and say, God, I ain't doing it unless you're in it. But I'm going to seek your face and I'm going to climb the mountain because I see you're a jealous God. And here I am, God. You can have me.